Welcome back to the podcast. Guys, I'm just saying these are my favorite episodes because I feel like we are in a room with some of our favorite guests and Jonathan and I get to bring you some of our favorites, which we hope are some of your favorites. But really, guys, this we're hoping to curate this almost like you walk into a restaurant, you say, what are the best dishes that you guys have on the menu? Let's do a sampler platter. So we got a sampler platter of goodness coming up for you. I'm here with my main man, Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan, it's been a good year on the podcast, man. It's been it's been really good. And we always say we have a hard time picking. I had a very, very difficult time picking and ended up with seven clips. It was hard. It was really hard. So we've got two episodes for you. So this one, which is uh, our first of two, we just can't put it into one. And um, so every once in a while, but every six months, we do one of these where we just say, oh, there's nuggets of goodness in here. Guys, please share this. If there's something that comes to mind, you can hit the drop down. You can text it to somebody else, send them the link, go through this with your team. We don't just do these because we need more to do. We do these because there is such good stuff here on this podcast. We want to steward it really well. And so we don't want to waste much time. And without further ado, uh, we want to hop in to our clips again, check out this episode and the one forthcoming on the next episode. And we have some of the best of Right Side Up Leadership podcast this year. Remember guys, we exist here at the podcast as an extension of Stay Forth Designs to live out our mission to help leaders get healthy and reach sustainable impact. This year with the rise and fall of Mars Hill, with many, many stories of church hurt and leader hurt, we want to be an equalizing voice and force that says you actually can live and lead well. And we are coaching clients all over the country who are living and leading well and moving more toward health, doing the work. And we're really encouraged at what's happening. We know it has been an incredibly hard season, and um, we want to bring some of those voices that really can help you uh, normalize your own leadership. And we're trying to change the Christian leadership conversation, period. I mean, that's our big, hairy, audacious goal. Change it from a striving conversation. Do more. What's next? It's all about the what to an abiding conversation, who you are. And so with that in mind, listen to these clips coming up. So Jonathan, what do you got for our first clip? You teed this one up perfectly. So we got episode 248 with Dr. Tim Elmore. The episode title was Living Amidst the Paradoxes and Tension. And I love this particular clip because he talks about the difference between going for the the high road and playing the long game versus the desire that's in all of us to really take the easy road and quick solutions and how this view of playing the long game is way healthier and will yield way more fruit in the long run. So enjoy this clip from episode 248 with Dr. Tim Elmore. We always make great decisions for the moment when we think short term because the money may be better now if I do this this weekend or that on Thursday. But long term is always better, better, uh, you know, a, b- a better decision. Um, someone once told me the further out I can see into the future, the better the decision I make today. So I need to think long view, you know, take the long view and not always the easy or quick answer or money answer right now. Um, high road, you know what that means. You probably teach that better than I do. High road is just I got to make sure that as I interact with people and start suspecting the worst, I need to take the high road with them and believe the best uh, for my own mental health and emotional health. But high road is just something I I picked up from John Maxwell years ago, and I I just think it's right. There's been a few relationships over this last year. We had a tumultuous layer like many, many organizations did 
that high road saved me. It absolutely saved me as I interface with people. And then the last one, think big picture. I think it's always easy, particularly for certain temperaments, just to see what's in front of me now. And it's my department or my area, or, or if, if they're faith-based, my ministry. And I really think we need to act in light of the big picture. It's it's just, once again, that saved me over the years too. I could illustrate a time and time and time again. How about how seeing the big picture saved me from making a mistake or, or you know, diminishing what could be done because I only saw you know, what was in front of me. These are great clips. So Alan, going right into it, let's keep it going. What do you have for your next clip? Man, I had an awesome conversation with Erwin, Erwin McManus. I have loved Erwin for quite some time, um, but Erwin's one of those guys that has taken risks over the years. Uh, many of them, more than we have time to talk about or more than he had time to talk about on the podcast and um, and been misunderstood in some ways. And I think that anybody who is looking ahead at the future and making decisions that people don't understand um, as a leader of any kind is going to be misunderstood. Erwin has gone through a whole lot of pain uh, and is he calls himself a futurist, and I love that about him. And we had an amazing conversation. He talks about violating reality and how people are offended when we violate reality, and yet that's exactly who Jesus was. So enjoy this clip, episode 233 from Erwin McManus. Your bio reads like most others until this line, his singular intention is to violate our view of reality. Pretty, pretty standard bio there. So first of all, Erwin, what do you mean by that? Uh, exactly what that statement says. I, I, I had to decide years ago why I would travel. Like why, why travel and speak if um, someone else can do it? And, and it wasn't really enough of a motive for me to go to inspire people to, or to go to encourage people or um, I, I didn't really want to go someplace to get the amens. <coughs> Sorry. And I didn't want to go someplace just to get the amens. And I, I felt like if my content was amen content, I shouldn't travel. My content needs to be, I'm not sure if that's true content. My content <laughs> needs to be, is this right content? Is this mm. true content? It needs to be, uh, a violation of the way that we see things in the status quo so that by changing the way a person sees reality, I can change the way that they experience life. Mm. So what are the different reactions you get when you violate people's view of reality? Well, for most of my life as a follower of Christ, I've been pretty much considered a heretic. So <laughs> I think that that is a pretty straightforward reaction, as you probably know, Alan, about my own life <laughs> and my life story. And so I've always lived on the fringes. Um, and, and I've accepted the fact that so many things that, um, I wrote or said 20 years ago or 30 years ago are now common convictions in the Christian faith. And, and that when you, you press people into something new, they're going to feel in a sense violated. They're going to feel like their comfort zone, their understanding of reality, their convictions or beliefs are going to be threatened. Uh, but the only way you can help people to see things in a new way, in an elevated way, is to um, is to deconstruct what they think is already true. Mm. And that's so much of what you're doing with Battle Ready with you and Aaron, right? It's so true. Uh, uh, my son Aaron and I have a, a podcast called Battle Ready, and we just pretty much talk about everything that's happening in the world, and we come at it from every angle. And um, 
you know, we, we take the, the, the super conservative, the super liberal, everything in between and just blow up every false assumption we can. And I, I, I think people are not sure what our actual positions are sometimes. And because we're really not trying to convince you to think like us, we're trying to convince you to think. And let's be real. Sometimes Aaron doesn't know what his position is on certain things and you call him on it. And I just, I, I love it because you guys are talking it out as father and son. It's become one of my favorite podcasts. You guys are doing a great job of, okay, Mike's on, I guess we should chat now. And yeah, and actually what's interesting is that so oftentimes Aaron calls me out because I'm trying to be so diplomatic that it makes him mad. <laughs> He's like, I know what you think. You need to, you need to say, yeah, so a lot of times he knows I'm just, I'm just trying to be super diplomatic. And he just says, Hey, look, just, you know, it's good. Uh, just drop the bomb. Just That's tell good. us what you really think. If reality violations happening in there, but I mean, you guys will be talking about the Clippers and then parenting. And then I think Aaron cried talking about donuts one time at mosaic. I mean, it was like, you're just talking <laughs> about, about life, um, in that and, and that violation of reality, you said the word deconstruction that we're all deconstructing in so many different ways. Um, right now, as these things come at us, how is that connected? That that violation of reality that Jesus did to the genius that you see in him? Well, I mean, obviously, Jesus violated the view of reality um, among all the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the law, those who were, uh, even when he was 12 years old, those who were at the temple uh, were um, confounded by his questions and, and amazed by his answers. And I think what's interesting is his answers were actually just questions. and. Jesus just kept pressing into their um, their held convictions, you know, about the Sabbath, about what is right in the mind of God, like what what really are the the commandments that matter to God, um, you know, and and you you listen to Jesus's conversations in the world in which he lived, and they were so offended by the way he saw reality that they felt it was necessary to kill him. Because his view of reality basically um, became a uh, an indictment on their hypocrisy, and and I think that's a part of the power of who Jesus is. Is that um, he he absolutely questioned the status quo. He did not allow the commonly held convictions to limit uh, his understanding of who God was. Uh, and I think if a person looks objectively at the life and person and teachings of Jesus. You have to really admire him for being so countercultural, so iconoclastic, and, uh, and so heretical. All right, Jonathan, moving on to more goodness. What do you have for the next clip? Uh, you had a great conversation with Joel Mom. Um, I feel like you guys so are good. cut from a very similar cloth, adventure mindsets, and, and the way you guys think. And so in, in episode 258, he really talks about this idea of executing excellence, um, which, again, is near and dear to our heart. And I would hope it's timely for this time of year as we look at what we want to do next year and what are the things that you can do well and execute excellence, the things that are already working that you can build upon for next year and do the best you can with what you've got. So enjoy this clip from episode 258 with Joel mom talking about why are we so angry and where do we go from here? Yeah. Well, I mean, excellence, excellence depends on the, you know, you've got to start with the end in mind. What's your end game. And that's how you define what excellence is in getting there. Uh, if, if you're a pastor of a church, you say, what's an end game? Like, what does a Sunday morning need to look like where we go? Here's a win. 
Um, if you're a business, uh, you know, running a restaurant, what does it need to look like right now? Like a win in this environment, if you're in a state that's still locked down, which crazy enough, there are still states that are locked down. I heard there some states are limiting again capacity. So you're like, here we go again. What's it going to have to be the shift that you've got to make in your restaurant to make sure that excellence is executed? Um, and, and it may be, I've been fascinated here with like, for example, a lot of the Chick-fil-A's here, they're still not open in the dining room. And I was like, why? And they're like, because we can't give the experience we need in the dining room. So we're just going with the drive through and the pickup. And I'm like, Hey, I, I can, I can Respect swallow that. that. Like, yeah. 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 It's like, if you know, you can't ex- execute and, and, and in the way you need to do it, then maybe you need to, maybe you need to stick with what's working well for now until you can figure out how to ex- execute that, yeah. uh, you know, in a good way. But again, it comes down to what's the end game. So for me, uh, my end game with my adventures is, I want a change of perspective in my, in my, uh, my team members, what's our formula. Mark Batterson threw it out. Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. The thing is I get an idea in my mind about what needs to happen to have a change of perspective, but I forget you can have a change of perspective going to the local park. So what's the inherent val- Like what's the inherent thing we're doing in the trip that's creating the change of perspective and whether we get to hike the full Inca trail or not, how do we create with the, with the cards we've been dealt? How do we create yep. the experience? So it may mean we do something totally different, but it still creates a change of perspective. All right, man. Well, I want to keep this going. We've got some really good content so far. So without further ado, what you got for us next? Well, you've heard of Philip Yancey and, you know, written all kinds of, all kinds of books. Um, but I feel like we got to peek into the life of Philip Yancey that a whole lot of people don't get. He was incredibly honest talking about his fundamentalism uh, background and just the dysfunctional beliefs that are actually contrary to Jesus that he believed. Um, so make sure to listen to the whole episode 238. Um, he talks about some of the things that are from his memoir and just kind of unlearning racism. And man, so many uh, brutal truths in here that he as an old man is coming to really own. So I loved this conversation with him. It was real. It was raw episode 238 with Philip Yancey talking about leaving uh, fundamentalism and actually repenting of those things. Uh, And we're talking to a free man uh, there on the episode. I loved this conversation with Philip Yancey. What are some other things that you needed to reconstruct after deconstructing? Wow. That's, that would be a good topic for the next book, wouldn't it? Um, Um. I would say the biggest thing was to correct my vision of God. Hmm. The view of God that I took away from these tiny little angry churches was of a scowling super policeman up in the sky, just looking for somebody who might be having a good time so that God could squash them. I mean, it was, it was that serious. And we, we were taught to, be away from anything that might have any kind of temptation. So don't go bowling. They might serve alcohol in the bowling alley. Don't go roller skating. Looks too much like dancing. You know, it was, it was one of these extreme legalistic churches. Be, be separate from the world, be different. And and they created this subculture so that you could be around Christians all, all the day. Well, that was certainly not what Jesus told us to do. He told us to go out and be salt and light and go to the uttermost parts of the earth, spreading the good news that God loves sinners. That's a pretty radical proposition, but that is the heart of the good news. It's not that God loves good people. It's that God loves sinners and wants them 
to be to be cleaned and wants them to to, to understand the good news and the, the fullness of life that Jesus offered. I saw shrunken people. I saw people who were just trying to grin tightly and get through this life so that they could spend eternity in heaven. Well, eternity in heaven is going to be great, I'm sure, but uh, there's a lot in the Bible about how to live here. <laughs> and And I wasn't very attracted to the view of life the survival view of life that I was getting from my church. So that, that would take some major reconstruction. I think just um, uh, understanding that, that we're, we're a minority, true believers, true followers of Jesus in almost every country throughout all of history have been a minority, but we are to show people a kind of life so that they would say, Oh, I'd like to be like one of those. That certainly happened when Jesus was here. When Jesus was here, the people who were most attracted to him were the outcasts, the losers, the people who society was judging wrongly. And something about Jesus just attracted. They wanted they wanted to be around him. They wanted what he had, like the, the woman at the well. I want that living water that you hold out to me and promise. And instead, so often we become... Um, how shall I put it? We become like a castle with a moat, with the bridges across the moat pulled mm-hmm. up. You know, yeah. we're trying to protect ourselves and stay away from that world. Well, Jesus was right out in the middle of it. Paul was right out in the middle of it. And I think that's what we're called to do as Christians. And I know the leaders you work with, it's, it's tough out there. Um, you're going to be around people who challenge your faith, but that's what we're called to do, to show them a different way, the way that we believe God designed us to to live in the first place. All right, Jonathan, what is your next pick? All right, this one coming in now probably is going to peak the top of maybe my favorite conversation of the last nine months. Um, You very recently talked to Casa Grant, shared uh, um, similar stories of time in Antarctica, but she was talking about dealing with imposter syndrome. And there was one clip in the episode that really speaks to my heart about cultivating curiosity in how we process our emotions. Um, I am someone who I take things on a personal level because I want to do the best that I can. And I think leaders in general do that. And so when we, she digs into asking questions like, why do I feel this way? Why am I thinking that way? How do I move forward this way? And I think we can all learn from that. So really enjoy this clip from episode 257 with Casa Grant talking about cultivating curiosity and processing your emotions. Cultivating that curiosity is certainly something that people can do. And, and I think that, you know, it's, it's, and I think that it's important to do it with yourself first, right? Like any good leadership, like when one of the hardest parts of leadership is in my opinion is understanding how to manage your emotions, especially if you are an emotional person, letting them go through you and then getting curious about them. That's something that takes a long time to, uh, well, it can, It, it can take a long time to really be intentional about it, understand what's going on notice when it's happening and then respond instead of react based on the emotion. Right. So, but it's totally doable. I've had clients do it. I've done it myself. Right. So that kind of curiosity is absolutely trainable. I mean, and I think just creating systems. I mean, I say for any habit that you want to create, if you create a system around it, yes, of course you can change. You can teach yeah. yourself to do these types of things. I want to camp on that for, for just a minute, Jonathan, you said this is something that you uh, wrestle with. Turns out you're human and we all wrestle with it. I think every human wrestles with this. And um, some people would say new levels, new devils. 
And yeah. I think that that's really helpful to see. You don't graduate from imposter syndrome. And that's why we really wanted to have this conversation on the podcast and title it so directly, because if you're feeling like an imposter, uh, you're, you're normal. This is real. And that's not something that's just going to go away. So we just want to normalize these kind of conversations here. If you have a fear, you are completely normal in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, and we talk about some other terrifying ideas there. So again, go back to episode 257 if you want to just feel like a normal human today. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, we'll wrap this up. But I mean, it's something I talked about. I see a counselor every week. And I think everyone should see a counselor. And one of the things we talk about in counseling is how to ask questions about your emotions so that you don't feel like an imposter. So it's it's normal to feel that way. Don't think you're alone. And definitely check out this episode. Absolutely. And I see a counselor monthly. It's just on the calendar. I don't always know what we're going to talk about. Um, but man, there's always way more to explore um, than mm-hmm. we can. And so I'm just kind of doing the work uh, in that and indefinitely going to continue to see a counselor because it's helpful every single time. There's always going to be stuff to talk with, similar to a coaching session. It's just put it on the calendar. There's always things to talk about. So uh, my next clip is Megan Hyatt Miller. This is episode 195. Um, You've heard of Michael Hyatt, and um, she actually is Michael's daughter. And really what impacted me the most about this time was talking about our workday. As simple as it is, where is your workday, a defined riverbank. Where's the land and water separation? Um, Big rocks. She talks about the classic analogy uh, of putting in the big rocks first and the pebbles and then the sand. And I work with leaders really to reverse the process. Uh, The sand has taken up most of the space in leaders' lives, and then there's no space for um, the big rocks. So where do we go from here? Love this conversation. Also inspired me as I was on a journey um, to move my workday to a shorter workday. Uh, to be able to help my wife in her calling, have more space for that, be more present with my kids in the afternoon. So I really think this was actually what I needed to take that next step. So love this conversation about riverbanks and big rocks in our work with Megan Hyatt Miller, episode 195. Let's do it. First of all, we've got to talk about constraining your workday. And this is the, you know, we talk in the book about the difference between a swamp and a river mm. is banks, yeah, right? And good. a river has a lot of power, it, it can it has a lot of force and it can do a lot. A swamp is just stagnant and everywhere. And it's just kind of gross, right? Well, that's kind of like our life if we don't have hard edges. So we've got to constrain our day by deciding when are we going to stop work? And that is like a totally new concept for some of us. You, you know, y'all are, some of y'all listening are like, wait, but how would I get it all done? You won't get it all done. This is where we have to start really thinking about what's most important to get done because not everything you're doing is giving you the same leverage in your organization or the same kind of results. And so we have to get really clear about that. But we, we start to get clear by putting those constraints. Now we have to think about it, right? So, for example, my workday is from 9 to 3. Yours might be from 8 to 6 or 9 to 5 or whatever. The, the time doesn't matter so much as that you decide and you put the hard edges in place. So constraints are are kind of like, you know, battleground number one. Um, the next thing is to schedule what matters. So I talked about non-negotiables earlier in those three categories, self-care, relational priorities, and professional results. Well, mm-hmm. you know, those only matter to the extent that you get those on your calendar. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, Stephen Covey had that, you can even find this on YouTube. It's like a terrible old quality video from, I think the eighties of him doing this demonstration of what he called the big rocks. And he has this glass cylinder that's probably classic. 12 inches across, you know, so classic. And he puts in, he's, he's trying to demonstrate, okay, let's start with the biggest rock 
rocks first and see how much of this stuff we can fit in. So he puts in these big, you know, probably like four inch rocks. And then he puts in some smaller rocks that are maybe an inch or two in diameter. And then he puts in some pebbles and then he puts in some sand and he has all this kind of pre-measured out. It all fits in there. Well, then he says, okay, let's reverse it. Let's try to put in the sand first and then the pebbles and then the small rocks and the big rocks. Well, as you can imagine, it doesn't fit. You know, once you put all the little stuff in first, it creates this solid mass at the bottom and there's no room for those rocks to, to fit in. And that's just like our life. You know, we have to schedule the big rocks. We have to schedule our priorities, our non-negotiables first in all three of those areas. When we do that, what we find is they all fit. They all fit. What there's not necessarily going to be room for are the pebbles and the sand. And that's okay because those aren't delivering what the big rocks are anyway. But that's a, a big part of it. So those are just a couple ways that we begin and we go in depth in exactly how to do this and we share tools and things like that in the book. Um, but for how do you start to begin to craft this double win in your life? Yeah, that episode was kind of a catalyst for shifting our team. Yeah, I mean, I was actually reading a book called Shorter by a guy named Alex Pang as well, talking mm -hmm. about the four day work week and putting constraints uh, on our work. And we talk about a compressed work week. So um, we're recording this on a Thursday and this will actually be the last day that we, we do stay forth work together. It's not like I'm policing it and I'm texting you all day. Come on, don't do any work, but really just kind of in good faith. We're not going to do stay forth work on Fridays. We have other projects um, that we work on things that we love learning in different ways. And, and adding value, but we're going to stay away from stay forth things. And that's, that's been huge. So um, don't tell anyone guys, but we love these podcasts probably more than anybody else. I love having these conversations and uh, we're going to continue to have these. We have one more, one more highlight episode, Jonathan, what do you got? Episode 234 with Steve Carter talking about what's the thing beneath the thing. And I can't think of something that's probably more relevant because we often get so caught up in wanting to come up with a solution for what's right on the top of the water, what's right here, what's happening right now, whether it's personally or professionally, and we tend to neglect what's below the surface of the water. Like what's the thing that's causing, what's the root issue? And so this episode was phenomenal. And so I really hope you guys enjoy this clip of Steve Carter from episode 234, talking about the importance of paying attention to what's below the surface. So, you know, spending, you know, seven years in Chicago um, and growing up as a, as a West Coast kid, you know, there's a little surfboard behind me and, you know, I, I grew up near the water. And so I, I knew nothing about potholes. And so what I came to realize is that in the city of Chicago, there are hundreds of thousands of potholes. They're constantly just, just fixing them and filling them in. And what I came to realize is that like if a pothole isn't dealt with properly, because sometimes it's caused by inclement weather, but sometimes there's something that's underneath the surface that's happening. And it, it, it could be erosion. It could be some leaky pipe or something that's causing this crater. And if they don't deal with that, a pothole can become a sinkhole. And what I came to realize is that we all have these potholes. The potholes are from past trauma, past abuse, whether verbal, emotional, spiritual, physical, sexual. We have, we have these experiences where key people in our life let us down or spoke a lie from the pit of hell into our life. And then what ends up happening is all of these potholes, we don't know how to deal with. Like we know how to manage them, but we don't necessarily know how to deal with them. And then somebody gets close to one of our potholes, whether in tone, whether in, you know, for me, one of, one of my potholes, because I grew up in a home that I felt like my identity was deeply connected to my ability to perform. 
And if I performed well, then I felt like I received love. Now, I could have perceived that and interpreted that wrong, but that was my kind of reality I felt as a child. So I say this, like, I don't, I don't like to be surprised. And so when all of a sudden somebody's like, hey, Steve, you, you're probably good at this. Can you, you just go do this? I, I, all of a sudden, I feel like, oh, man, if I, if I, don't, if I don't do this well, like, I, I, I'm not going to get love. I'm going to fail them. And then, and again, this person who's asking me to do this has no idea that they are stepping on potholes from 32 years ago. But it's triggering all of these like inner child interferes within me. So the triggers are the setup that sets us off. And every day we're being triggered. We're being triggered online. Every day we're being triggered in meetings. Every day we are being triggered when we're dealing with real people. And the truth is all of that, like our bodies, we get like, when someone triggers us, all of like that cortisol, that negative like, um, reminders, emotions, and energies, they start rushing through our body and they need a release. They need an outlet. And so the first place that I found that most people go are to hideouts. And the hideouts are the metaphorical places we go to escape our stories. And, you know, my counselor, Jim Kress, he says that, you know, if you, if you get hysterical, it's most likely historical. So you, you find yourself getting hysterical about something it's most likely historical. So that's, there's the trigger there. But now you've just found some place to transfer that hysteria onto. And it's, we all have these, you know, Tim Keller language, counterfeit gods, these golden calves. And it could be socially acceptable like work, or it could be so socially unacceptable like crystal meth. But we're, we're actually transferring that anxiety, those energies, the past trauma onto that and saying, you make me okay. And John Norberg language, like drinking, like will give you a fleeting sense of peace, but it won't make you a person of peace. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is when I get triggered, where do I go? Better said is you do what you want to do. The question is, why did you want that? And I wanted it because I wanted to escape what I was feeling and I wanted to be okay. Um, the second place that many of us go is to insecurities. And that's just, you get triggered and all of a sudden you create a false story about yourself. And this is what a lot of leaders do. All, all of a sudden, they get one email or they get a text message that's like, hey, Alan, can we go for a walk tomorrow? Like, you have no idea. They're leaving the no church. No idea. Taking their money. Yes, ex- they hate me. Exactly. Exactly. And all of a sudden, what do you do? You just, you just start playing small. It's all insecurities. And it's all connected to these old tapes. But like, they're going to leave. They're going to bail. And you can't shut it off. And so I think what I've found is that in insecurity, many of us either play it small and power down, but also I've seen it up close where leaders power up and they, they feel like they're losing the, the, the meeting. And so they're scared and they don't know how to address that they don't know the right answer and they don't know how to ask for help. So what do they do? You're wrong. And they start getting verbally abusive and they put everybody else on their heels and they power up. It's just insecurity. Um, the third place that people go when they get triggered is the narratives. And this is where they don't create false stories about themselves. They create false stories about others. And we see this on social media. We see this on talk radio, people making billions of dollars on this every single day, just trying to help us find what divides us rather than what unites us. But the, but I discovered that 
I had a very, very small understanding of grace. Um, that grace was just kind of almost this get out of hell free card by saying yes to Christ. But then as I started really studying, I realized like, oh my goodness, there, there is a stage of grace that we often don't talk about it. And Wesley, John Wesley talked about it. He called it sanctifying grace. And that was this spiritual process, God's power at work in us that makes us whole, holy and spiritually healthy. And so it really begins to go after those potholes so they don't become sinkholes. It goes after those pain points. It goes after those, those places in our story that, man, if we don't have the courage to address, they can take us out. Well, friends, hope you enjoyed some of our favorite clips. There are so many good things to think about. Take some notes. Take your next step. Share this with somebody else. Better yet, share with somebody else and have a conversation or listen out loud together to this. Listen to our next episode. We have some more goodness. Seven more clips coming your way. Our top 14 of this past year. We will catch you on the next episode of the podcast. Bye.